0: Hello again, everybody. 2020 is not done with you. The desire was always to keep this virus. Dr. Gert Van Bosch, who Dr. Shiva denounced as too little, too late, published panically letters regarding immune escape. The entire response to COVID-19 seems highly planned. Lockdowns, masks, smearing therapeutics, while pushing immediate and experimental mRNA vaccines, they're not vaccines at all. On many levels, this was coordinated by the World Economic Forum and Bill Gates. Their work was to strategically partner to destroy the United States establish a one-world
1: system that is coming into focus. Even as some protest, this is not the case at all. We'll discuss this and more in this broadcast.
0: everybody. Uh, this is uh, Jason Powers from West Lafayette. So today we're going to discuss a video that was posted by uh, Dell Bigtree. It was a uh, actually an analysis of a video by uh, Gert Vandenbosch, who's a PhD. Uh, he'll go over his credentials and whatnot. But uh, here's a example of uh, Gert's writing um, from online, uh, from LinkedIn, from his LinkedIn profile. He says, I am here within posting a list of series of publications that have been instrumental in providing enlightening insights on the interplay between COVID-19 and the host immune system. They provide, so to speak, critical pieces of the puzzle that I have been putting together. Entire puzzle, puzzles are rarely published. That's why publications rarely bring bring solutions to complex problems. For your convenience, I have allocated the publications I consulted to different categories. As you will appreciate, I have been tapping into several di- disciplines. To solve a problem as complex as viral pandemic, one has to draw from several different fields, including epidemiology, molecular biology, virology, immunology, genetics, vaccinology, and even biophysics. Again, this is why I finished Puzzles cannot be found in science journals specifically dedicated to a specific field of interest. So that gives you a kind of an idea of how I mean how he thinks. Now, here's a, a qualifier. So he's going to go down. He's going to um, in this interview, which uh, uh, or this interview he had with uh, another doctor. Um, he's going to discuss the the field, the the idea of immune escape, which was triggered triggered by these lockdowns if he really wants to be honest about it and he even suggested the lockdowns were a horrible idea uh in the interview but more to the point is because of the way the way the western world has decided to handle this virus ostensibly at the behest of the chinese uh, communist party because they were the ones who were uh installing the fear and the propaganda and they were Uh, Putting that out there And plus they probably initiated it Through uh, various back channels That we're unaware of See this is me piecing together the problem Using various fields of Deduction and analysis And uh, money that transferred To certain people through certain entities Uh, For example Bill and Melinda Gates Who uh, Gert here worked for uh, The Gates Foundation and Gavi Gavi being the the Foundation uh, being the The organization that uh, Bill Gates has funded, he he founded and funded uh, with, I think, $1.5 billion back in 1999 or so. So this has all been a big uh, coordinated plan. And he's talking about it from a um, virology standpoint and and the concept of uh, immune systems, the innate immune system, uh, the adaptive immune system, etc., though I don't think he goes into uh, the, what would you say, the, I forget what the final uh, immune system is. There's three different immune systems in your body. And like I said, I'm not an expert. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on these things, but I can kind of puzzle it out if I was dealing with it on a daily basis and I would, you know, get the lingo down pretty quickly, I think. It's just learning. It's just learning how the cell works, how the how how uh, the viruses or how your DNA uh, genetics work, and this is what they're doing. They're actually reverse. they trying to reverse engineer your body. Um, they they te- they they think that they have figured out how the human body works, and that's why they developed these MR, mRNA vaccines because they're they're supposedly a, a quicker to to produce. But the problem is is there's storage issues. And oh by the way, we'll we'll discuss it later. China has China has just started their mRNA vaccine, uh, program. When I say started it, they, they expect to have an mRNA vaccine in eight months. But the funny thing is, is they went with a live attenuated virus and they have a, they had a vaccine, uh, ready to go by this last prior summer. I think it was, uh, August or September. They, they announced that they had a vaccine, vaccine program. And of course they've opened travel up to, uh, to certain parts of the world, as long as you have the Chinese, uh, vaccine. And of course they're buying up, they're buying up, uh, uh, friends with this particular situation. So they're really, you know, they're doing a full, they're using our money, the United States of America's money. They're, they're, they're using our money to buy, buy up friendships. And this is a massive coordination plan. Of course, they're not going to admit to that because they don't want to, they want to keep it, keep everybody thinking it's different, but, Here's from an articles from Reuters. At the back end of it says, the candidate known as coV or Covax has entered a phase one, a phase one b clinical trial in October after a phase one trial started in June. Um, this is an mRNA vaccine. At least five Chinese candidates have been already entered into phase three clinical trials. Three of which have been given to the people of high high infection risk via China's emergency inoculation pro- program. Those three are inactivated vaccines which use inactivated or killed versions of the virus that cannot be replaced in human cells to trigger immune responses. So don't you find that interesting that the, the ones that they have approved are non-mRNA vaccines? Um, why, if, if, if they were, if, there's, there, there's a lot going on here and there, there's reasons for it, but uh, we're going to get into those. But we're going to play this video by uh, Dell uh, Tree.
2: Something gigantic has happened this week. At least I think it is, and you can decide for yourself as we weigh into this. To begin with, there is a world-renowned vaccine creator that went on his LinkedIn and put out a letter to every single professional in the world, essentially telling them we must stop the vaccination program immediately. Here's just a couple of excerpts from his letter. Let's take a look at this. As a dedicated virologist and vaccine expert, I only make an exception when health authorities allow vaccines to be administered in ways that threaten public health, most certainly when scientific evidence is being ignored. The present extremely critical situation forces me to spread this emergency call, as the unprecedented extent of human intervention in the COVID-19 pandemic is now at risk of resulting in a global catastrophe without equal. This call cannot sound loudly enough. He goes on, sufficient scientific evidence has been brought to the table. Unfortunately, it remains untouched by those who have the power to act. How long can one ignore the problem when there is at present massive evidence that viral immune escape is now threatening humanity? We can hardly say we didn't know or were not warned. In this agonizing letter, I put all of my reputation and credibility at stake. I expect from you, guardians of mankind, at least the same. It is of utmost urgency. Do open the debate. By all means, turn the tide. I think he goes on and has this statement to make, um, a form of a disclaimer i suppose for those who may have had some difficulty in understanding how mass vaccination drives viral immune escape it will suffice to watch infectivity and morbidity rates in those countries who have now succeeded in vaccinating millions of people in just a few weeks e.g. uk israel usa whereas these countries are now enjoying declining infectivity rates They will undoubtedly start to suffer from a steep incline in COVID-19 cases in the weeks to come. The steep decline we're seeing right now may be followed by a short-lived plateau, but a subsequent steep incline of severe disease cases is inevitable.
0: So, that's quite interesting if you think about it. So... Here we are. We have people out here in this country that are taking these vaccines and in the, in the given the, the idea that these things will help them. And of course, there's two ways to look at Gert. Either he is an honest actor or an honest broker at this point. But and he's just, he, which is kind of interesting that he would wait a year to be an honest broker. So that there, there again, there's a there's a a trigger there that that kind of um, underlines that. And another thing is, is if you know what his background is and who he worked, who he who he has worked for, you start to wonder why would he suddenly be all all up in arms about this? And why would the, why would he allow this to go on? And didn't he understand that this was the, the course of action they were going to take from the get go? I mean, they rushed the vaccines to the market. So you can't tell me that he couldn't have. There wasn't a risk assessment in the number of variations in this uh, particular virus. Has been driven by places where they started to uh, do vaccinations in recent uh, weeks and months. I mean, it, it it almost and he isn't the only person who knows this. There's there's you know how many thousands of scientists and I know there's been many that I've I've run across that uh, online and through various outlets. You know, uh, people who have worked in who work in the medical field who understand biology and understand various fields. And have a pretty good understanding of what this thing is and what it isn't, and uh, you know, whether you believe in Doctor Sherry Tenpenny or Doctor uh, I think her name's um, Majol, I can't remember exactly. But there's been multiple, multiple doctors who who have, uh, who from the outset have have been uh, crying at the top of their lawn saying this is not the way you would go about handling a situation. So why did we handle it this way? When you start looking at the people behind it. It's always the same people, you know, whether you say it's Dr. Fauci who who gave uh, President Trump uh, bum information about how to do this, you know, how many lockdowns we needed. Remember when it was 14 days or 15 days to flatten the curve? And then it turned into, okay, well, we're going to have multiple waves, which, yeah, that could very well have been the case. But why didn't they just let, uh, why didn't they just, they were like, oh, we're going to overwhelm the the medical system? It's like, uh, you know, that was always the, the the thing was is we're always going to uh, overwhelm the medical system well you know if you're in the medical field it's just like being a being a policeman or any other field there's risk involved in what you do and if you can't uh, if you couldn't prevent uh your own illness um if they would have used uh hydroxychloroquine or used uh, a vetromycin uh, uh I guess I can't s- say the word right but you know iver- ivermectin and um you know uh, use therapeutics to bolster their immune system and therefore head off or cut off the path of the virus into their system. A lot of this could have been uh, uh, taken care of rather quickly, but of course that wasn't the case because the Western world restricted usage of therapeutics and, and the FDA uh, put put bans on it, which tells you what the FDA is all about. Uh, you know and now they've uh, of course they've given emergency use authorization to these particular vaccines. Once again, proving their stupidity. And so now they're going, and and, uh, these vaccines are experimental. They haven't been approved. They haven't been formally approved. They're given an emergency use authorization. Now, why in the world would all this stuff go on? And then yet, uh, this guy presents himself as an honest broker this late in the game. I mean, we've already vaccinated, what, 10, 20, 30% of the population. I mean, depending upon who you're, what day your resources are or uh, 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 accessing data, I know I got a notice on my email account to say that I, I was uh, able to go get vaccinated, which I'm not getting vaccinated. Um, I had an adverse uh, vaccination event back in 1998 when I was in the United States Navy. I got, a vac- I got a vaccine shot in boot camp, and within, I think it was about four or five hours, I had a severe reaction. I was puking my brains out. And when I puke, I puke. And, I mean, we're talking very loud. And I started getting chills. And I was laid up for basically a day uh, until, I, I mean, I felt like hell for three days. But uh, uh, in boot camp, you, they're not going to give you a lot of time. But um, <clears throat> yeah, that uh, that reaction I got, and I don't know what they shot into me. I was in boot camp. It's not like you can tell, the, tell them to no. Uh, you don't tell the military no they're vaccinating me for something and all I know is that uh the 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 shot I got did not make me feel very well and I wouldn't want to I wouldn't I would say like I said that was an adverse event because my body definitely did not like that uh situation and don't get me wrong I mean if there was a if there was a critical uh medical event and I thought there was a, a, a absolute you know necessity to get vaccinated I yeah, you. There would be a lot more transparency, but there's been nothing but lies and half truths told throughout this situation. So it's hard for me to. um uh, trust people who I know are just lying to my face, and or and or people who have, who've who've hidden their viewpoints, and then they suddenly bring them out and they say they're against something now, but they work for the same people that were telling telling us that we need to do this. It's like. If you won't go out and publicly call out your former bosses for what they're doing, then what kind of person are you? I mean, there's a certain amount of uh, responsibility. And I know people say, well, I don't want to put my professional uh, uh professional on my line. Well, now he's putting putting his uh, professional reputation on the line a year after the fact. And after we've already got who knows how many people being... And of course, they'll say, well, I, I have to wait until the science concludes that. It's like... You know, when you're in the middle of a health health uh, crisis, so to speak, or a manufactured health crisis, you need to be thinking, you know, it's like chess. You're supposed to be thinking several steps ahead. I mean, these people are supposed to be experts in their field. They're supposed to be able to, they're supposed to not only root cause analysis things, but they're also supposed to uh, be able to see, see around the corner to the next phase. And it's not like they don't understand you know do these people study history do they understand how to connect the dots do they have to have the i mean come on these people have uh, have um supposed to have these scientific wherewithal to understand what goes on and by the way what did what what was told and what was not told throughout this situation and more importantly why did it happen that way and if you start getting into the details don't don't be fooled by the fact that the chinese were behind it so i'm gonna play a little bit more of this and then we'll well, we'll there's a lot more this is an hour-long broadcast i'll see if i can find the money shot that we need so that we can discuss that too
2: these are shocking statements and to be clear just so you recognize this man could not be more pro-vaccine in fact He may be one of the most highly ranked and talented vaccine creators in the world. Let's take a look at the resume of the man that is screaming at the top of the mountain right now. This is Geert van den Bosch, Ph.D. He was at GSK Biologicals. He was a senior project leader of adolescent vaccine projects, new biotech vaccine development and QCQA manager, head of adjuvant technologies and alternative deliveries and R&D at Novartis Vaccines and Diagnostics. He was the director, research program leader and head of adjuvants at Solvay Biologicals, global project director of the influenza vaccines. For the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, he was the senior program officer global health vaccine discovery. For Global Alliance for Vaccine and Immunization, which we refer to as GAVI, he was the Program Manager. And at UNIVAC, he was the Chief Innovation and Scientific Officer. He's also at the German Center for Infectious Research, head of the Vaccine Development Office. And at Verico, he is uh, was the Managing Director, okay? This guy is anything but an anti-vaxxer. He is as pro-vaccine as you can get yet there is something that has got him terrified. Now that letter really only speaks to the professionals in his field. But luckily for us, he did an interview, I believe it was last week, and normally you know, we would love to bring Geert on, but I think this interview is so perfect that I'm gonna do something we rarely do here on The High Wire. We're going to go through the interview as it appeared. So I wanna make sure that you recognize that all the credit needs to go to the doctor that created this YouTube video and does this interview. But let us walk through what I believe may prove to be the most important interview in the history of mankind. Let's get started. Here's how the video
0: I'll say that's a, well, I hate to call something hyperbole because we don't know. I, this is a crisis and we, we need to focus on it. But when you say something like that, you, you know, there's there isn't the the quote uh, it has potentiality to be a, a human disaster because of the way they're they're rolling this out so i want to step in and somewhat qualify that not because i i, I don't see the problem it's because i'd rather rather be a little bit more even about it than to call it that but we'll go back to gert and he's going to he's going to give us some Credentialing and for the next about 15 minutes i'll let him do the talking it starts out all have- right pleasure
3: of having with me uh, Gert van den Bosch from uh, Belgium. The difference is that Gert is truly an international vaccine developer, and he's here to share some very important and unique perspectives on where we are now in terms of the COVID pandemic. So pleasure to have you here with me, Gert. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for uh, having me, Philip. Wonderful, wonderful. Listen, I mean, I think the first thing that we have to clarify is that we have to explain you are someone who is in the vaccine development uh, business, so to speak. Uh, What has that background been like?
4: Well, I have a background uh, essentially as far as uh, vaccines are concerned in uh, industry as well as in the non-for-profit sector. So I have been working with the Melinda Gates Foundation, Gavi, especially concentrating on uh, vaccines for global health. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've also been working with several different uh, companies, vaccine companies, uh, developing, uh, of course, um, uh, essentially prophylactic vaccines. And my uh, main focus of interest, has always been in fact the design of vaccines. Uh, so the, the concept, how can we educate the immune system in ways that are to some extent more efficient than uh, we do right now with our conventional vaccines.
3: Right. And so, in effect, this is the area of work you've been in. You develop vaccines. You are as well working with the Ebola vaccine um, as well, one of the really, really dangerous viruses we have out there in the world. Uh, how, how does that work? Is, it, is that easy to do? Well, I was not, uh, let me be very clear, I was
4: a coordinator of the Ebola program at uh, Gavi. So we were interacting with several different vaccine companies, that were developing uh, Ebola vaccines because it was important for Gavi uh, to make the right choice, the right vaccine, in order, uh, you know, for this vaccine to be rolled out in the uh, Western African uh, countries that had this severe uh, Ebola crisis uh, back uh, a number of years ago. So that was not, uh, let's say, operational, practical work. This was more a role of uh, coordination, but of course, was also a role of, Assessing what would be the impact of using some of these vaccines in larger populations and in an area where uh, an epidemic is, is really is, is going on, because that's a very
2: particular and peculiar situation. All right, so obviously he starts out by, you know, getting into the credentials of geared vanden bosch here and i think there's a couple things that i found striking right away what he says is really his specialty is on the design of vaccines he understands the design of all the vaccines being made in the world he's worked for gavi and in that case he oversaw the ebola vaccine program and his area of specialty is understanding the effect of using vaccines and choosing the specific vaccines and its impact in mass vaccination programs, okay? Have we established that if some guy is gonna have an issue with a mass vaccination campaign, this is the guy we all thought was supposed to be in charge, right? But for some reason, he's not. Let's hear what he goes on to say. If we, we have 2020 vision
3: at the moment when we look back at the pandemic, and where we started from. And I've always said that at the time when the pandemic started, when it got from China into Italy, into Europe, into the UK, I thought that the only way that we could manage this is to lock down and to prevent the spread of this, this very dangerous virus.
0: So that's Dr. Philip McMillan. Uh, uh, million. He, so he thinks that lockdowns work. And that just tells you that, you know, just because you have a uh, doctorate doesn't mean you're necessarily the most uh, um, expert on uh, certain situations. And I see this as a, a philosophical point on two, two different types of morality. Um, there's a care-based morality and there's a rules-based morality and rules as in uh, legal rights. And... Uh, our medical field is populated with people who, who, uh, who seem to tack towards the, the care-based morality, which isn't really, it's about, you know, oh, we, we need to be sensitive towards all people and we need to do the best to, to, uh, to buffer the entire, entire population and, and treat them all on, on an equal plane. The problem is with that is that we aren't equal. We're not, uh, equally the same and therefore we all have different uh, levels of necessities and as far as treatment around the world I know it's easy to look at vulnerable populations particularly in Africa and use them as the benchmark for how you're going to treat things in other parts of the world where freedom is is not only valued it's it's actually written it's codified into our constitutions and the fact that you can suspend constitution constitutionality based upon supposedly this this uh, enormous pandemic and just do it automatically and oh by the way this was driven and i'm going to beat this into everybody's head this was driven by chinese propaganda china did this to us they are guilty of this they sent out their messengers they sent out their uh media coverage they, they 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 promoted this and this came straight from the top of the Chinese Communist Party, uh Xi Jinping. He was the one who, who thought this would be a good idea. So everything that's policy wise is reflective of of a, a of a of a person who is immoral and doesn't have any right to make any kind of policy decisions for other nations. And all these other nations just got in lockstep. Which, of course, this was, was designed, too, because lockstep plan was a designed outcome uh, from Rockefeller Foundation. They did a, a paper in 2010, and they had four different variations on this. And lockstep was considered the best plan for, for and it was uh, modeled off the Chinese uh, control authoritarian uh designation you know surveillance and and keeping people um uh, locked down and that of course that was designed off of uh various uh other people who had entertained the idea that we should just you know destroy an economy destroy people's movements uh restrict their human rights because we think that's going to keep a virus under wraps and it doesn't what it does is prolong the agony it prolongs the virus it's like uh It's like, I don't know, I I keep on, I don't know if there's a good analogy, but uh, say you have a a tube of toothpaste and you can squeeze it from the bottom, roll it up slowly, and you can get, you know, you can prolong a a tube of toothpaste, a couple extra uh, usages um, for certain uh, instead of just, you know, going through the toothpaste in a normal manner or, as far as like you know, you can control the flow through the nozzle of how fast or how how much uh, I guess you could say potentiality for death there is. But of course, they didn't um, they didn't ascertain or didn't didn't logically assume that you know there was ways to handle people who were vulnerable in a rational manner and keep people that were not vulnerable to this virus as much uh, uh, operating in a normal environment. The economic, the economic uh, impacts and the interpersonal impacts and the social distancing, which oh by the way, that's come out to be said that uh, that was based upon a cockamamie science. Uh, they said, oh well, well, maybe it should be more like three feet instead of this uh, six feet distancing. So it's all bullshit, and we know it's bullshit, and we we've known it's bullshit for since the beginning of this because we've never done this before. And why haven't we ever done this before? Because it was never meant to be done and people and historically speaking they had a masking situation back in the the Spanish flu uh time and that didn't work out. Um I guess I'm getting off on a soapbox because this is such a uh conspiratorial uh situation but it seems rather odd that we have so many people that uh that continue to buy into this fact that, that this was still a, even a good idea. So we're going to let Gert uh finish off what I'm saying here. <laughs>
3: We do have to stand back and see whether or not those decisions were correct. But as we said, hindsight is twenty twenty. What would you say now as we look back at the decisions we made then? Were we about on the right track? Did we make any mistakes?
4: Well, frankly speaking, from the very beginning, and I mean there is uh, many people who can uh, witness this or testify this, I always said that it was a bad idea to do lockdowns that uh, would also affect the younger people, that we would prevent younger people from having contact, from being exposed. Because remember, the big difference back then was, of course, that we had uh, a viral strain, COVID strain, that was circulating, dominant strain and that was not highly infectious as those that we are seeing right now. Of course, when a new virus gets into a population, it immediately gets to the folks that have, you know, weak immunity. And we know, we know these people. This is to a large majority, of course, elderly people, people uh, that have underlying diseases or are otherwise uh, immune suppressed, etc. And, Of course, I mean, it was certainly the right thing to do to protect these people and uh, for them also to uh, isolate. But we have to distinguish, frankly, and that is what we we have not been doing, between those people that have strong innate immunity. I mean, it's not, uh, you cannot see when you see a person, you don't know this, but we know that young people have quite decent innate immune response. And uh, therefore, they are naturally protected, and even more. I mean, if they get in contact with coronavirus, it will boost their natural immunity. So, therefore, from the very beginning, I don't. I, I, I was I disapproved. Uh, you know, the fact that schools uh, got closed and and universities and that uh, youngsters were preventing even from having contact with each other. That situation is, of course, completely different if you look at vulnerable people. The virus comes in the population, there is no humoral immunity. There is no immunity at all, in fact, so nobody has been in contact. So the youngsters they can rely on good innate immunity. Elderly people, I mean, the, the innate immunity is waning. It gets increasingly replaced by antigen specific, by specific immunity as uh, people get older. So these people very, very clearly uh, needed to be protected. But uh, it has taken a lot of time before we understood, in fact, what, how we, uh, how exactly the immune response and the virus were interacting. So there has been a lot of confusion, a lot of...
0: Now, so that pretty much gives you... <laughs> so he was against it from the get-go. Then he talks about basically what I, I, I came up with, you know... <laughs> in June or even May the bifurcated response that didn't take place and why is it that somebody like me who's not a virologist not an epidemiologist just basic common sense uh knew that younger people would have a a pretty good chance to uh fighting off a virus while of course older people who needed to be isolated but should have been isolated at home we could have we could have spent a great deal of time probably working uh, with certain uh, vulnerable groups in a better uh, manner and, and achieve the same goals that we did, uh, m- more, a better a better achievement of goals with herd immunity and impacts and reduce those impacts. And the thing is, is we knew this. And we know that destruction of an economic impact w- was, um, was a, a, a part and parcel to certain people's political objectives, at least in the United States. It was It was never let a good crisis go to waste and never let a manufactured crisis, which if we believe that this was a gain of function uh, study, which we believe it was, and that the, this virus had a unique characteristic attaching to a specific uh, ACE2 receptor, then you start to wonder, you know, just, you know, if you found it, put it this way, If you were out there and you found out that, for example, certain politicians were contacting China and and, and asking them, or certain people in the CDC or World Health Organization were contacting China earlier prior to this pandemic and there was some interaction there, wouldn't that kind of trigger, set off some alarm bells? Um, Those things are kind of important, and especially considering the the serendipity of this coming on, right on the heels of a uh what would you say the impeachment and a trade deal is the united states and china um suddenly china in december of 2019 uh had a trade deal that they agreed to with the united states they agreed to this it was a phase 1 trade deal this was right in the midst of uh, trump being impeached and so china suddenly relented uh, supposedly relented this was after this was 6 months pr- after uh may 2019 when they agreed to a trade deal and then suddenly china balked on everything and made wholesale changes in the agreement um they said they wouldn't agree to any of this stuff which lets you know that this was always a uh that was a sticking point of course china doesn't it, china hates us they do they actually absolutely despise the united states of america i don't know why anybody thinks that they don't they do at least the cc the ccp does and much of their population is propagandized too, so it would be hard to uh, separate the wheat from the chaff. Those that at least are, let's just say, are uh, can read papers and, and and whatever. You know, you only know what you're what you're fed. If you aren't allowed to look at any other resources, why would you think any different? You know how they did how they describe. I guarantee you that every time there's a uh, uh, article about transgenderism or some crazy Hollywood person doing something. I bet you all the all the worst news out of American pop, uh, United States of America is uh, is propagandized to the to to their um, to their public and whether any of them are discerning enough or have enough interaction with the United States. Like I said, it's just like us. I mean, we don't know everything there, there is to know about China. I'm not going to pretend to know everything there is going on there, but we do know there there are some very bad issues that are going on inside that country. And we know that our, and I also know that our own media doesn't cover it or ignores it. So anything, you got to look at what, as much as everything is, it's what's excluded from your news that you need to be worried about. Not what's included in your news. Uh, the, the false stories and the, um, right now you need to be very uh, aware that uh, there are forces that are just, they the things that they want to allow you to know. Uh, either is planning or seeding ideas And what they don't tell you about Are the things that they're, uh, they're trying to either hide Or uh, keep from you And the same thing with the Chinese And the same thing with the United States media So it, when, wh- where that goes is that uh, When you have a situation where uh, There was a the concerted effort To make sure that they locked down All of the western world why do you think that is? I mean, why was it suddenly the most uh, prevalent prevalent go to mechanism? And the states that did uh, did so uh, also had some of the worst uh, case, uh, case fatalities in the United States. And that's probably like per, and also that happened on every continent. For example, I think uh, Ecuador, Peru, uh, Peru had the I think the uh, one of the highest death rates in the world. Think it was Ecuador, but I, I could be mistaken. Um, so we'll get back to his interview.
4: Mistakes made? Well, mistakes. I mean, retrospectively, um, yeah. and and that has also led to um, you know bad control right from the beginning.
2: Uh, I would say. All right. So I think there's some important points to be made here. And by the way, if you're watching the high wire for the first time. As it turns out, we actually geek out on the science. If you're a person that's saying, I wonder what's going on here, but what you want is a bumper sticker slogan um, about uh, to make you feel better, then go watch some other network. What we're going to get into and where he's about to go is so deep and profound and powerful that you're going to have to actually care about science. What we're going to get into is the science here with gear. But let's be specific at what he's pointing out. When there's any time there's a pandemic, when there's a virus that starts spreading, the first people that really we see it affect are those that don't have waning immune systems, the elderly, those that are sick. It's exactly what we saw over the age of 65 with other comorbidities. And we talked about the Great Barrington Declaration. There's now over 50,000 scientists and experts and doctors that have all said exactly what Geert is saying here. He is saying that, there's the the actual, those are the new numbers, there we go. So we're over 50,000, over 750,000 concerned citizens. If you haven't signed the Great Barrington Declaration, you better check it out online and get your signature in there because these things matter. But what he's telling us is that we should have protected that, you know, extremely vulnerable population. Something the High Wire has supported from day one, it's what we've been saying. But he, what also the highwire has been saying is those that are young, that are healthy, they need to get out and they need to go catch this illness. And as he pointed out, they're only going to just enhance their immune system. It's going to be made even stronger. He gets into a detail I hadn't really thought about and didn't really fully understand that once you get older, once you become, you know, when you're in those the later years of your life, you no longer have humoral immunity, or otherwise known as your innate immune system, which is sort of this initial sort of general immune system that just attacks and kicks butt. You're stuck with antigen immunity, meaning the things that go through your life, the memory, it's going to be looking for those things, but it doesn't have the ability to take on a brand new virus or some variant we haven't seen. But our children, they've got that in spades. And college students and healthy people, it's just rocking. We've just got, you know, Mike Tyson's in there ready to go and take out any brand new virus. So we should have been out in the population Dealing with it while the elderly that don't have that innate immune system that we do, they should have been secured. Exactly what the Great Barrington Declaration has been discussing. And obviously, scientists and virologists agree around the world. All right, now let's start getting into more details. Here we go.
0: So, yeah, there's a, yeah, I I kind of analyzed that or put that together for um, a book that I just uh, wrote um it's on dcfpress.com you can look it up it's called operation virus and there's a chapter on that and and no i'm like i said i d- i used the the analogy of a gas tank and i used the analogy of ma- miles per gallon and you know wh- you know what's the size of your gas t- i use a very crude mechanism for the for what he's stating stating basically it, this is just common sense you know the amount of muscle mass that most people have uh have declines like roughly about 1% per year after the age of 40 your test if you're a male your testosterone uh decreases roughly about the same percentage per year uh obviously we know that uh females they they become uh uh incapable of uh, giving birth after a certain age or their chances of giving birth after the age of like 35 or 40 are substantially increased in terms of giving birth through uh, uh an an abnormal birth birth defects you know that kind of thing and so this isn't this isn't rocket scientists this is just the way the human body is and this is the way the human body works um, and then if you add on top of that the comorbidities and and the things the life stressors and whatnot that's another thing too you had people that probably would have been just fine getting this disease. Uh, between the ages of like 35 and 55 if they would have just come in contact with it and the life would have been able to carry on as normally done but when you put life stressors like you lose your job or your job gets or you get laid off or you're a small business owner and you get that shut down or you're you know suddenly cooped up with people that you're not used to being cooped up with for several hours extra per day it creates havoc it creates havoc with your immune system it creates chaos. You had people that were, you had people, you had hustlers out there pushing, oh, antibacterial and antiviral uh, uh, cleansers and all this other crap. Uh, obviously, the mask, which a mask is a uh, carries bacteria in it when you're using it. Another reason that was made this reprehensible. That's the reason why the mask became very, very controversial. Because people knew that when you have that on your face in an open atmosphere it's not a closed control environment it's an open atmosphere you look like a fool and you are a fool actually and it's hard to, it's hard to break the people that conditioning because social pressure is a hell of a thing I mean we all you remember when you were if some of you are out there are younger but obviously if you were in high school you remember how peer pressure worked you know how everybody was like hey you should do it because I'm doing it man it's cool you know that was the that was the whole thing. It's socially and psychologically manipulative, and it's the same thing with the Cultural Revolution. They used to shame people in China. Again, I'm going to harken back to that because they use that kind of uh, uh, you're being punished by the community for not uh, going along with the program, and they use that to ostracize and is- isolate people. They use that in social media, shaming and uh, brigading and downvoting and and a whole host of things and then ostracism as in uh you post something that people don't agree with on twitter or facebook and then they deplatform you or basically they say erase you from human existence but they've been doing this for years they've been testing this out this is this is called authoritarianism at the highest level and it's been driven by the highest level people see they want they want the elite want control over all of our existence they always have one of control over us and they'll use any method methodology to get us there they'll use blackmail they'll use war they'll use famine they'll use disease uh anything any tool necessary to get us where they want us to get us which is in their uh, uh get get us back down to the level that, that uh, they want to achieve the reason why in the recent times it's because of the social media and because of the propensity of the internet. Uh, their secrets are out there and they know it. And they're scared of that fact. That's, the under, that's one of the underlying reasons. Plus they also want to make money off of it. So they don't ever do anything where it's not a win-win-win. It's all about win-win situations for them. They want to get as much, um, what would you say? They want to get the mo- most benefit from the least amount of risk. And of course when you're worth... A billion dollars or a half billion dollars or a hundred billion dollars uh you can you can uh do a lot of things to uh, distort markets and and like for example gates i mean he he's invested in all these vaccine companies he's invested in Moderna, he's invested in astraZeneca he's invested in all these different companies, so he's using public he's doing the classic thing that um a lot of ownerships in this in this country have done in the United States. So you let public funding, and then you have private profits. So you let the public fund your 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 baby, you know, through uh, you know, in this case, the federal government through BARDA and other uh, means have funded these vaccines, and then there's going to be private profits to be made. AstraZeneca, I think, uh, as of June 1st, they have a little switch that says that they're going to be able to charge whatever price they want to charge. Uh, of course, because they're going to want to make money at first they say oh we're going to make this low cost and available to everybody yeah do you really want it and they're going to ma- they they're blackmailing people into these situations it's such a they they created a market over this and um, i'll let Ger go on i'm just rambling but uh, um, i have my i have some strong views on this
3: yeah there's still a rise in cases countries had to try and lock down mask mandates and so on but we all had the whole vaccines would come and break the cycle. This is where clearly now, from your expertise, you seem to have a different thought about how we should have been thinking about vaccines then and even now. What, what is your perspective?
4: Well, my perspective was and still is that um, if, you, if you go to war, you better make sure that you have the right weapon. And the weapon in itself can be an excellent weapon. And that is what I'm saying really about the current vaccines. I mean, it's just brilliant people who have been making these vaccines in no time and with regulatory approval and everything. So the weapon in itself is excellent. question is, is this the right weapon for the kind of war that is going on right now? And there my answer is definitely no. Because these are prophylactic vaccines. prophylactic vaccines uh, should typically not be administered to people who are exposed to high infectious pressure so don't forget we are administering these vaccines in the heat of a pandemic so in other words um, while we are preparing our weapon we are fully attacked by the virus the virus is everywhere that is a very different scenario from using such vaccines in, in a setting where the vaccinee is barely or not exposed to the virus. And I'm saying this because if you have a high infectious pressure, it's so easy for the virus to jump from one person. So if your immune response, however, is just mounting, as we see right now with a number of people who get their first dose, they get their first dose, the antibodies are not fully mature, the titers are maybe not very high, So their immune response is suboptimal, but they are in the midst of this war. While they are mounting an immune response, they are fully attacked by uh, by the virus. And every single time, I mean, this is textbook knowledge, every single time you have uh, an immune response that is suboptimal, in the presence of an infection, in the presence of a virus that infects that person, you are at risk for immune escape. So that means that the virus can escape the immune response. And that is why I'm saying that these vaccines, I mean, in their own right, are of course excellent. But to, to use them in the, midst of, in the midst of a pandemic and do mass vaccination, uh, because then you provide within a very short period of time, the, the population with high antibody titers. So the virus comes under enormous pressure I mean, that, that wouldn't matter if you can eradicate the if you can prevent infection. But these vaccines don't prevent infection. They protect against disease. Because we are just, unfortunately, we look no further than the end of our nose, in the sense that hospitalisation, that's all that counts, you know, getting people away from the hospital. But in the meantime, we are not realising that we give all the time during this pandemic by our interventions, the opportunity to escape to the immune to the immune system. And, and, and that is, of course, uh, a very, very, very dangerous thing, especially if we realize that these guys, they only need 10 hours to replicate. So if yeah. we think that by making new vaccine, new, new vaccine against the, 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 the new infectious strains, we are going to catch up. It's impossible to catch up. I mean, the virus is not going to wait we have those vaccines ready i mean this thing continues and as i was saying the thing is i mean if if you do this in the midst of a pandemic that is that is an enormous problem these vaccines are are excellent but they are not made for administration to millions of
2: people in the midst in the heat of a pandemic i hope that all of you will go back when we you know, get done with this and go back and watch just that section. There's so much to get out of that. But let's make it clear. Uh, One of the kings of vaccines, one of the greatest vaccine developers and overseer of most of our programs around the world, the important ones, is telling you, as someone describes, I, you know, I study how the vaccine works. um, And he tells you this vaccine is not designed to stop infection. Personally, I think the discussion may be over there. So when Fauci says we're waiting for data to come in, I've been thinking, you know, I think the data would have been here by now. This guy's telling you, Geert says, I know for a fact, I've been in all these laboratories. He knows what this is. He's been around over the last 20 years of studying mRNA vaccines and viral vector vaccines. This guy has been in all those laboratories, in fact, running most of them. So when he tells you this vaccine is not designed to stop the infection and therefore transmission, I would take him for his word. And so what he's saying, and look, he's doing his job, he believes in vaccines, he's telling you, this is an excellent, this is an excellent product. I would challenge him on that, but it doesn't matter. He's saying this is an excellent project, uh, product, but it's the wrong weapon. It's the wrong weapon for the war we're in. A prophylactic vaccine cannot be used once you're, the war is upon you, once you're already under assault. He talks about something we have already talked with you a lot about. We are very concerned about people that get that first shot, and then we see the news reports that after their first shot, they got the natural infection. That is the worst case scenario for some reasons we haven't even talked about. We brought up antibody dependent enhancement that somehow that could backfire on you and make the virus more deadly. But what he's saying is you are creating, you know, you're creating um, a a worst case scenario where you are mounting what he calls a suboptimal response. It's not the optimal response by the vaccine. Your body's trying to create the antibodies and it's only gotten started after the first shot or right when you get the second shot and already you're under attack and so the virus is going to win. And when I was thinking about him describing it, it reminded me of a self-defense class that I was in at one point where... Uh,
0: so, yeah, there's, a, there's been this motivation to, to get this into our bodies so quickly, but yet the, the timing is everything. And there always was with this entire situation. It would have been better served in this country to just let the virus roll through, um, no lockdowns let the let the general population uh, outside of uh, people under or people over the age of 55 who they could have uh, uh, dealt with on a on a what would you call it a prof they could have done it on a therapeutic basis. They could have also uh, identified which ones would have the highest risk, uh, risk factors and then let the the general population just you know deal with it as they deal with any other flu. Now of course you're going to have mortality. This is a was a uniquely designed virus, a uniquely populated virus. It's a brand new virus, a novel coronavirus, as they call it. Um, there was there's no way to identify it. This is something that humanity's dealt with for every every year. There's people that have uh, flu viruses and they die from them. Nobody cared about those. Uh, oh by the way, if you took the amount of deaths in 2020. In the United States, I'm just going to focus on the United States. So if you took the amount of deaths, uh, there was a excess, uh, if you took away the amount of, there was like in 2020, there was like 335,000 excess deaths tied to this particular virus. Now, uh, is that a lot? Yes. But how much of that was driven by uh, bad policy? How many of those deaths could have been uh, avoided if we would have just used uh, any therapeutic we uh, approach we could have possibly done. How many of the, how many? Uh, let's just put this way: How much of this was driven by our institutions like the FDA, the CDC, uh, even the World Health Organization? See, I don't blame. I know a lot of people like to focus this all back on Trump. Uh, how can Trump be the uh, be the respons- He he's a politician. All he can do is pro- uh, provide the impetus to to get funding. And the Congress, has to, the Congress has to put the bill together to, to fund and approve any kind of response to the system. Uh, the idea that you, you, some government 3,000 miles away from you, if you're like in California or whatever, is going to somehow fix your viral problem out there is ridiculous. Anybody who thinks this way needs to go back to school or something. I don't know because, I mean, there's no way in the world uh, government doesn't solve your problems. They never have. The only thing that government can really do for you is is provide the impetus to, to have a better, better served populace. That's why everybody believes, that's why most people should believe in liberty, limited government intervention. Um, that, you know, aside from basic schooling and roads and, you know, maybe public utilities and law enforcement and, and a, a judicial process that works, we should stay out of people's lives. Uh, as much as possible and though even those things need to be constrained significantly and as we found out all those institutions have been populated and infiltrated by uh, leftist ideology or communist ideology which is all about centralization and authoritarian rule and restricting people's ability to speak for themselves people's uh, ability to protect themselves uh, take away their privacy rights um to get off on a rant, another rant. So, uh, Zero Hedge republished, a, a book, uh, republished an article by Naomi Wolf, who wrote this for the American Institute for Economic Research, or AIER. So, she wrote a book called The End of America, Letter of Warning to, to a Young Patriot. Now, I didn't read this book, but um, there is a part of that book, she was talking in March early 2020, of course, a global pan- a pandemic was announced. Uh, and then she talks about the United States, about the, in the immediate wake of the announcement of a narratization of the, that pande- pandemic, most of the elements of a lockna- lock-in 360-degree 360 de- 360 totalitarianism have been put into place in most of the countries of the West, including in what had been robust democracies. It all happened very quickly and comprehensively. Imagine that. Guess who drove that? I wonder if she, she uh, interjects that, but she doesn't. So in the United States, we now have, she calls, Sus- suspend due process of law. This is a hallmark of a police state. COVID-19 is invoked as the reason for the introduction, introduction of emergency law, but there is no end point for the, lifting these emergency laws. Yeah, once you give power to people, they typically don't like to give it back up to... The closure of schools, which breaks the social contract with the next generation. I wonder who drove that. The teachers' unions. Uh, Teachers' unions are highly leftist, authoritarian, and they've been blackmailing uh, local uh, school councils to to either defund the police while giving them benefits to do nothing. I mean, sounds like a socialist hustle because it is. Socialists don't like to work. They want money. They're, they, think they're, they think they 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 think deserve it. It's like reparations. It's the same kind of concept. And it's based in the same amount of evil, too. Bills being passed for vaccine passports, which bypass the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution by allowing the government and big tech companies to intrude intr- 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 on medical privacy and create a comprehensive digital surveillance state. Well, at least you got that right. Because uh, this is what it's been about is destroying the United States Constitution through any means necessary. This is why everybody needs to absolutely fight back against this stuff. And fight back means, you know, protest, do peaceful protest. If you put 100,000 people in the street and you demand your rights, you you force the state to take either take action against you or to cede to your request one way or another. If they take action against you, they are the bad guys and the rest of the populace will eventually figure this out. And they'll start to stop thinking, oh, these people are here to help you, which right now DC is it knows this, and they're just waiting for the right moment. They keep on using the media to interject pure propaganda out there. For example, when there's a crime that they can uh, make use of, like the Atlanta situation where a guy went off and you know mass killing. It, it's terrible. It's terrible who who was it involved, but this, since they could since they could spin it up as Oh, it's a white guy, and there were six Asian women, and then if they forget about the two two women that weren't Asian or a guy who got hurt, they don't care about those people. They just care about the narrative that they were trying to spin, which just tells you how reprehensible the media is. Um, they're they're all in on this stuff. They're all con- this, con- con- talk, concocting these ideas. That's why they're interjecting racism because racism is a good a good good way to divide and conquer a populace. Same way with the mask. There's like, I forget, I I think I listed them down one time. There's like five or six different things they're trying to do to divide and conquer the people because they want to get people that, they don't want people to align themselves because if we all got united on the same page against one common enemy, DC, they would be very, very scared because they know they couldn't control us. There's no way they can control 330 million people or let's just say 320 million people aside from our military, which, oh, by the way, the lower ranks of our military are starting to question their superior officers, especially when they're pushing all this propaganda on them, and they know that they're pushing it on them. You know, people aren't all that stupid in the military. There are some that are, but there are a lot of them that are like, uh-uh, this isn't what I signed up for, and they are well aware of it too. <clears throat> so forced closures of businesses. By intervening directly into the economy, and allowing certain businesses flourish, Amazon, Walmart, Target, at the expense of small businesses. So this is a characteristic of Italian fascism or or of a modern Chinese communism. Indeed the fact the fact that tech stocks rose by twenty seven percent in one quarter of the pandemic shows one driver of this war against human freedoms and human society. Every minute human beings spend in a classroom, at the pub or the restaurant or in a church or a synagogue, it's time that tech companies lose money by being unable to harvest that data from you. Uh, COVID policies driven by COVID-19 response tech companies ensure that humans are not allowed to connect except for via digital platforms. The reason is profit as well as social control. This was driven by the World Economic Forum. They put out uh, several plans during the summertime regarding media, Uh, tech companies' control, Um, And remember they mentioned Facebook in particular, which was invested in by George Soros highly uh, to create this kind of control, uh, authoritarianism. Restrictions on assembly. Some states like California are fining people for seeing their friends in their home and making it unlawful for kids to have playdates with their friends. Massachusetts restricted gatherings of more than 10 people at a time, forcing synagogues and churches to stay closed. In spite of a Supreme Court ruling against state uh, states forcing churches to close, even though so uh, that happened in Nevada too where they said, oh it was okay for the casinos to be open at fifty percent, but the churches had to be it was only fifty people and no more in a church, no matter what, no matter what the size was because they didn't want anybody gathering. The reason why they don't want people gathering because people talk, and if people talk then they can coordinate, and if people can coordinate, then they can unify on something. This is all being very well planned out. They planned this out to the T. They knew they planned this out. Um, We should know this. These people are our enemies. They're enemies of freedom. They're enemies of democracy. They're enemies of the republic. And they should be treated as such. And the people that are pushing it the most, we need to make sure we keep them highly, uh, we should keep them in the front of the mind when it comes time time for uh, Nuremberg-like procedures. Restrictions on... Okay. Forced face coverings. Okay. In Massachusetts, people are fined if they're not wearing masks outdoors. Even children as young as five are forced to do so by law. By law. So forcing people to put something on their face that doesn't help them. Again, this mandate has not been undergirded by peer-reviewed studies showing medical necessity, and there is no endpoint proffered for these extraordinary violations of personal freedom. Yeah, just imagine if uh, someone said, "Well, you got to wear a scarlet a scarlet letter A every day, because I say so, because it'll protect you." It's the same thing. It's the same concept by forcing you to wear and, and saying, "Well, this is for your safety." Uh, a fifty cent mask is not for safety. It's for show. It's a uh, show that they can control you. It's it's control that they can shut you up. Matter of fact,ors uh, Bill Gates had uh, one of his. Uh, Lackey's write-out article, uh, a guy named Gomez, Professor Gomez, he was at Colorado or something. He was writing out articles in the Atlantic that everybody should shut up and be quiet during this because then they won't spread the virus as much. He's such an a-hole that he would be like that. That tells you how controlling and authoritarian this is. This is such a manipulative psyop and that everybody should be afraid of this. And Everybody knows this, but I'm, I'm reiterating it over and over again because it's very important. Suppression of free speech. We all know about that. Science has been hijacked in the interest of bio-fascism. By heavily funding scientific commentators such as Dr. Fauci, Imperial College, uh, SAGE in UK, Dr. Christian Drosden in Germany, a dominant set of policies and pronouncements about COVID that benefit a small group of bad actors, notably tech and pharmaceutical interests, acting in concert with governments, have secured cre- uh, credentialed supporters. But when other scientists or institutions seek debate or transparency, they are threatened with job loss or re- reputationally attacked, as in the case of Dr. Uh, Simon uh, Goddick of uh, Netherlands, who was told to keep quiet by his university when he challenged the flawed COVID PCR test protocols. Of course, you can't dissent from scientism data has been hijacked to serve the best interests of this biofascism. We all know about that and that's happened it happens in uh communist China, it happens everywhere else too. Uh for example, covid platforms such as covid-19 tra- Cracking at John Hopkins University funded by technocrats such as Michael Bloomberg and Bill Gates serve un- unverifiable covid data that direct- directly affected the stock markets. Again, while this un-American merger of corporate interest and public policy is reminiscent of Italian fascism, the twist the twist provided by digital data presentation and its relationship to the stock market is very much of the 21st century. Attacks on religious minorities and then policies that weaken bonds between human beings and weaken the family have been introduced and po- policed. This is the most serious development of all. I couldn't say it better. Uh, that's the reason why I read it. <laughs> I guess I can pat myself on the bat for that one. Uh, um, I was going to go on with uh, B- Big Tree. Uh, that that interview I have linked. You can watch the whole thing. Um, the next thing, and I'm, now I'm doing the Jen Psaki uh, response. I'm going to play a, a three-minute clip from uh, CNN Travel of All Places regarding uh, China.
5: Africa first. Despite a raging pandemic, China's top diplomat, Wang Yi, continued a long-held tradition of making the continent its first port of call in a new year. And because of a raging pandemic, many African nations need help. During the visit, the Democratic Republic of Congo announced China granted some pandemic-linked debt relief. With an elbow bump, Nigeria and China pledged to deepen bilateral cooperation in economic development and pandemic response. Before the visit, Wang spoke to state-run media, pledging China's continued cooperation to rein in the virus.
6: China has called for global cooperation since the start and worked with other countries to fight the pandemic.
5: In May, President Xi Jinping pledged to make Chinese vaccines a global public good. China has promised a growing list of developing countries across Africa and Asia priority access to its vaccine.
0: So a list of the priority companies for China, uh, um, Afghanistan, (laughs) Algeria, Cambodia, uh, DNR Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Egypt, Ethiopia, Gabon, Kenya, Laos, Malaysia, Mali, uh, Myanmar, Niger, Nigeria, uh, Rwanda, Senegal, South Africa, Thailand, Vietnam, Zimbabwe so you can see this is all about their belt and road initiative and the cancellation of debt i'm sure came with some other strings attached to it so this is how china wins over people and of course these these african countries are are you know banana republics that's the reason and we've done it to them too africa is as much as everybody says well that's cuz everybody's out there exploiting them yeah bill gates has been exploiting them for 20 years and and nobody seems to care um We've let so many people go into Africa and exploit it, but we've also, also have to be mindful that so many of the people in Africa, their elite there, are exploiting their own population. Remember, uh, there's just massive amounts of corruption. That's the reason why it's so easy to go in there and do these things, is because whoever happens to be the local dictator, or currently the dictator, um, has an enormous sway. That's the reason why they they keep their people underfoot. They keep their economies down. And we have to get into the fact that Africa is a very uh, unique continent in terms of the fact that it has uh, you know, geographic and uh, water restrictions that make it very difficult for uh, it to flourish into the kind of a democracy that you would expect because uh, geographic boundaries, peoples, you um, I mean, know, Aside from the colonization that everybody focuses on, uh, there's to a large degree, even even without that, it hasn't gotten any better. Because uh, there's been installation of, uh, there's certain countries that have enormous uh, natural resources and they've been uh, used and exploited for those. Um, And we all know about those, you know, the blood diamonds and stuff like that. And there's companies around the world that do this. Remember, a lot of this is done through private companies done through you uh private companies coming in and offering them money and saying hey if you just let us you know mine for this or drill for that or whatever um it's 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 money it's always driven by money and power and so china's doing the same thing to them so uh they're not they're not acting in these people's best interest they're just they're just trying to create allies and they they're really they're trying to isolate the united states from the rest of the uh, the rest of the world what the United States needs to do is between Canada Mexico and South America they need to come up with a a uh, uh, a serious strategy against this the problem is we have the weakest president we've ever had in the United States history this guy is not a president he's just he's a puppet but we know that so let me go on
1: here
5: and it's planning to send hundreds of millions of doses to a long list of countries that have conducted last stage trials, including Brazil, Turkey and Indonesia. It's been called vaccine diplomacy and let's say that it's a soft power play by China to reshape the pandemic narrative and repair its image damaged by initial mishandling of the outbreak.
4: So they want to uh, improve China's image. And secondly, uh, they want to uh, expand the market share of the Chinese vaccines. Third, they want to use that, uh, the vaccine sort of as a strategic tool, uh, especially in those in countries which, uh, where China has strategic interests.
5: And the idea of Beijing mounting a vaccine diplomacy came The through. term doesn't sit well with China. State media rejects the notion that its vaccines are a bargaining chip. China's vaccines do have their public health advantages. Compared to the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna vaccines, they don't require ultra-low temperature for storage, making shipment easier in the developing world. China's Sinovac and Sinopharm may have announced efficacy rates lower than Pfizer Moderna.
0: So, they have this thing up here and they have this graphic about efficacy rates. Well, Sinovac is funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation through uh, uh, several... Uh, grants or up through third parties, Sinopharm, F- Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca. They're involved in all these. Every one of these vaccines, they have some kind of connection to. And the funny thing is, is they, you know, we know about the the difference between the mRNA and now the Chinese are using uh, uh, attenuated viruses, or they're using, you know, dead deadened viruses in order to create a immune uh, response
5: but they are higher than the AstraZeneca-Oxford vaccine. But vaccine diplomacy is not as easy as a shot in the arm. There is a worrying lack of transparency. No detailed efficacy data has been released for China's leading vaccine candidates by Sinovac and Sinopharm. But to developing nations, they are a potential lifesaver. According to the People's Vaccine Alliance, rich countries have purchased enough.
0: Yeah, Uh, it's always interesting. These can be life-saving (laughs) while... The thing is, is the most important thing in, during this pandemic was to, to actually uh, address the the therapeutic side. But there's no money to be had in that. This is all money hustle. Vaccines are enormously profitable. Uh, as Gates, right out of his own mouth, he, he mentioned that. I think I even can pull up the clip. Um, I think, actually, it'll be easier to do it off of one of my videos that I did a long time ago. This was back in the summer, so he was at... Um, he was at the world. He was at the World Economic Forum, and he decided that it was important to uh, address this. yeah he was talking uh, with uh, Becky Quick, who is just a, a shill for uh, for this whole thing. So let's see if I can get to it real quick. Let's hope so. Uh, I don't know. This is this is like I said. This was done, and well, I published it uh, June twenty third. So.
3: We'll see
6: if... the the I, I'd say it's an ironic if you take somebody who's doing their best to get the world ready and you know putting in my case uh billions of dollars into these tools for infectious diseases and really trying to solve broadly infectious diseases including those that uh, can cause pandemics but that you know we're in a crazy situation so there's going to be crazy rumors I hope whether it's individuals or countries that in some ways this shows us how interdependent we are that to stop a, a global pandemic we need to find whoever's the best whatever the best vaccine construct are the best drugs and we need to make it without just focusing on one country, we need to make it for the entire world, including for countries that don't have the resources to pay for vaccine research or vaccine factories. You know, they're actually, uh, in many ways, should be the priority for what we do, so.
0: Mid-March was a busy time for Gates. Serendipitously, on March 16th, Neil Ferguson dropped his millions to die model on the public in report number nine from Imperial College. The Gates Foundation had provided Ferguson's employer a $79 million grant that same month. Ferguson was selected to head up a new department or venture in April 2020 at Imperial College. That later was nixed due to Neil's unlucky personal life choices and the advertising of them. Meanwhile, Gates' mediator was in full swing, even if this model was under scrutiny, and Ferguson was quickly discredited by coders and epidemiologists alike. See if bye. A simple aside, why was this one model consulted? So, I'm let's see if I can move ahead, I'm sorry, here I was, uh, I knew it was at the beginning of this, uh, so, well, sorry here, I'm just uh, freelancing this, which is probably what you're not supposed to do, and maybe even in a different video set, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm in the wrong video uh, for this particular, uh, but we'll find out. The point is is uh, Gates has uh, interjected much of his uh, philosophy on how things should be dealt with, um, and it's kind of ridiculous how we've allowed this to go on and how people have uh, continued to buy into his uh, philosophies. And you know like I said, he has vaccine he's just a vaccine hustler. He, a, he mentioned that what I was going to get to was that he mentioned that he could get uh, 20, 20 to one return on an investment. Which is obviously a substantial amount of what everybody wants in a pandemic. So I'm gonna see if I can get to this one more time. It's gonna be difficult. What I what I wanted what I'm what I'm trying to uh, uh, impart on people is that okay, yeah, just about found it. Uh, so you can tell this was a long time ago. A based vaccine. The reappearance of Bill Gates in early February offered infusions of capital to garner early buy-in and control following from his Davos comments. Gates left Microsoft on March 13th, the day after Thomas Friedman on CNBC laid out his five-point plan for Andrew Ross Sorkin for combating this virus. Talk about, about what he's been working on. And, and Mr. Gates, thank you so much for
5: being with us. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about your approach to vaccinations you wrote something recently and and like you always do you kind of looked at the problem from a scientific and business perspective on things you've invested 10 billion dollars in vaccinations over the last two decades and you figured out the return on investment for that and it kind of stunned me can you walk us through the math
6: well it's pretty impressive that when you take these vaccines uh get them to be very inexpensive by making big volume commitments have that right relationship with the private sector uh, Get the delivery system so they're really getting the coverage out there you literally save millions of lives and 20 years ago when we created these new multilateral organizations gavi for the vaccines uh, global fund uh, for hiv uh, tb and malaria we didn't know they'd be successful they've gone through lots of challenges about making sure the money gets there making sure the efficiency is right but as we look at upcoming replenishments for those and we've got so much distractions uh, politically that the international uh, needs like this could uh, get eclipsed if we're not careful. And we see a, a phenomenal track record. It's been $100 billion overall that the world's put in. Our foundation uh, is a bit more than $10 billion. Uh, but we feel there's been over a 20 to 1 return. So if you just look at the economic benefits, uh, that's a pretty strong number compared to anything else the human benefit uh, in millions of lives saved. So, you know, we're here with a pretty strong message that uh, although all these other issues are very important, let's not forget about the great success in global health and maintaining that commitment. I think...
1: So
0: there you go. That was the whole point of uh, him. Oh, by the way, just recently in the COVID bill, he got another $3.75 billion, um in funding for the... The global fund. This guy, he, he's good at using public money to to uh, buttress. So he puts in, he'll put in temper. he's, like I said, it's a whole public-private partnership. He's getting all the profits while the public is getting stuck with uh, f- funding his prep, pet projects around the world. Because that's what it goes on to. That's why he likes to operate in Africa and India and uh, Third worldish type countries, and of course now he's operating worldwide because he wants to. He's he's been hell bent on getting vaccinations into everybody's arms, and everybody says, "Oh, he's saving millions of lives and stuff like that." You know, I I, I highly i it's highly suspect that anyone believes that any of his vaccines are. are Specifically designed for some greater good that he he likes to present. There's always good good sides and bad sides to anything. Don't get me wrong. There's probably there is some there's probably is some usage for vaccines, but there's been many things, many diseases that have been only acerbated or remain around forever and ever. I don't. I think there's still. I mean, there's supposedly this uh, this idea that we've. uh, we're gonna ever eliminate all these uh, diseases and illnesses from our lives and we don't it would be much easier to fix people's uh living situations, you know, clean fresh water, good health, good food resources and stuff like that. And of course they say, Well we can't do all that. You know, we're only so we're he'll say, Oh, I don't have you know, I don't have the resources. No, what it is is he doesn't he can't get a return on investment. He can't uh you know, when you build a vaccine factory that, you know, promises 100 million doses or 200 million doses or whatever, I mean, the cost per unit goes down to, you know, infinite infinitesimal. He's just a big farmer pusher. That's all it is, you know. And, and, oh, by the way, vaccine research probably, it's it's probably, substanti- now it's gotten to the point where the amount of money that they have to put up front into these situations is relatively small. You know, we're talking maybe 50 or $100 million, maybe even $200 million to get a vaccine kind of going towards the market. I know BARDA, I think, uh, supplied like, oh, I think it was like a billion dollars to AstraZeneca. So that was re- relatively large. But, uh, I mean, there's other countries are doing it. But the United States footed the bill for what China did to us. You know, you don't hear much about what China did for anybody else. They were the ones that caused this stuff. I mean, it, it just... There's so much that just bothers the heck out of me. Um, To go to our final topic before I close this off because I've been talking a lot. So uh, there was a publication, Law and Crime, by Dan Abrams, who's not a right-wing person. So journalists can't sue Rod Rosenstein for alleged illegal spying on her family during the Obama administration because of qualified immunity, as they called it. This was Cheryl Atkinson, evidently... What she was suing for was during the Obama administration, there was a, a number of uh, controversies. So they they uh, were spying on her while she was working at CBS. Okay, So the plaintiffs had specifically alleged that Holder was personally involved in discussions that centered on Sherald's fast and furious reporting, and that he directed one of his aides to get a handle on her reporting. The plaintiffs also alleged that Donahoe was ultimately responsible for the use of the USPS network to infiltrate Atkinson's devices and the unconstitutional monitoring of mail as part of a mass surveillance campaign. I don't doubt it whatsoever because we know that uh, the FBI was doing the same thing to Trump just a few years right in going into his uh, administration. So, I mean, spying on anybody that holds a different viewpoint from you is just so un- un-american but this has been going on for you know years decades now especially with the patriot patriot act the way it's been was designed and designed so that they could uh uh bypass uh normal disc- you know normal warrants and normal procedural um uh fourth amendment you know your due process rights your your rights to privacy and and the ability to uh ascertain information on you See, this is all about surveillance. It's all about becoming more authoritarian. And just like anything with these people, once they get that, once they get that uh, uh, quest for power uh, or that that um, grasping of power, and once they get it in their hands, they just they just usually abuse it to no end. And they abuse it in ways that many citizens don't even pay any attention to, or that they think oh, no. they think these they think these people are good guys. They're not uh dc any people any of these politicians for the most part are, are are snakes republican and democrat i would say there's just it's even worse the republican i wrote an article recently um we'll finish there and then we'll close this out cuz i've chatterboxed on for way too long but um there's there's a lot of, there's there's just always so much news going on which tells you what kind of time we're living in there's so many things that are going to get run over during this time frame that should have been focused on, and yet they weren't. But um, so there was a so there was a case called uh, uh, regarding a um, guy named Zuburi, which um, I don't know. I didn't know anything much about, but it was posted just recently on him. If I can uh, get this thing to load up any quicker, which of course I can't. Um, so. Uh, Just the news published it. It was Aman Zaburi's career took a fateful turn after he told prosecutors he couldn't help federal probe into Trump. So he was a, com- a convicted Democratic fundraiser had secret ties to the U.S. intelligence. Is the headline from Just the News? And then they wrote this. And I'm gonna I, I did some subtitling. So by all accounts, Zaburi was a well-regarded inside security agencies providing significant help with both human and signal intelligence uh, data. Uh, Dating back to 2000. Sometimes he volunteered information gleaned from his many global trips. Other times he was tasked with specific activities. He was never paid, save for some expense uh, reimbursements. But he was on speed dial on the encrypted message software, software via which U.S. security agencies frequently communicate with sensitive sources, according to current and former officials interviewed by Just the News. That valuable assistance, however, was suddenly put into jeopardy in early 2017 when federal prosecutors in Los Angeles and New York began investigating his financial activities, specifically nearly $1 million in donations he made to the Trump Inauguration Committee after years of Democratic fundraising. Even even as the FBI and prosecutors dug deep into Zaburi's activities, his intelligent community work persisted, a signal that his case might eventually be settled according to interviews and documents. So so I think he was given a new mission. My idea is is that he was a good spy and that they were using the $1 million donation as a as a go as a entry point so that they could investigate on Trump. They were using him as a as a as a mole, as a potential as a potential uh means to get uh information. And the thing is is he he was probably set up to do this. And then somehow or another, somewhere along the line, things got sideways, and he decided not to comply to certain things. So, it's see. So, according to this, according to the actual article, Quote, records reviewed by Justin News show Zabruri's lawyers engaged in plea discussions with the federal prosecutors that would let him off with a relatively modest $1 million fine and no prison time. All he had to do was cooperate with special counsel Robert Mueller's probe into the Russian Russia-Trump collusion and deliver evidence against the president, his inner circle, and certain, uh, uh, certain uh, senators and congressmen. So, he was being asked to find the evidence to get Trump or manufacture it well enough. So, he told prosecutors the money he, he used for donations was his own. The final criminal charges did not even allege his donation to the Trump campaign came from foreign sources. So, I mean, he was friends with both sides. He, he took pictures with uh Hillary Clinton, and he took pictures with Mitch McConnell. Um so, he knew he knew all these politicians, you know, stand there friendly as heck with them. So, he knew all the he knew both sides of the story. So, he likely got money from the domestic source. That's that's what the implication is here. Uh because he didn't get it from a foreign source, he must have got it from somebody locally, and it probably didn't come through uh, uh it had to come from somebody who was uh it was used as a, like I said, it was used as a method so that they could say, "Hey, uh, Trump got money from this guy. Why is this guy doing it? Uh, you know, and he has foreign ties. I think it went to Qatar and a few other Middle Eastern countries that he does work in. So they were trying to, you know, it, it's a good ruse because the guy was handled. And I'll, I, I can, and I'll finish off with that." So the prosecutors would not relent, even threatening to charge Zabrari's wife with, uh, for signing one of his errant tax returns. Late last year, he agreed to plead guilty, and last month he was sentenced to prison, although he is not yet reported to serve his term as the appeal has begun. So, this is according to Justin News. The CIA steps in from the shadows just after the court cracks Zabrari good, or so it appears. They gave him a, tw- uh, a 12-year sentence, which is ridiculous, but... Uh, that isn't the point. That That's a way to get a guy to do what they want him to do. It, he's controlled. So then late last week, former top CIA lawyer Robert J. Edinger Jr. filed notice to the court that he's joining the Zaburi legal team as he contests his harsh sentence in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Edinger, who served as a longtime CIA deputy counsel and was CIA acting general counsel under President Obama, is a national security law expert. He did not return calls to his office. So, eventually, this case is going to go poof. I mean, the, 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 the whole idea was to sentence him. They're going to put him on another mission. They're going to ask him to do something else, which will probably die somehow or another. I bet it'll tie back to Trump. But this is what this is what our government does, and this is what they waste our time on. They have people. They 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 basically they're, all they are is paid snitches. All they're asked to do is go out and find information on other people, and then they're supposed to bring them down. This is how corrupt our, our government has become, that the, the, major, the major instrument of, of uh, diplomacy or the major instrument for protection for the D.C. operatives or the D.C. elitist class is to find dirt on anybody who wants to go into their club. See, this is a club and there's only certain people allowed in inside the club and if you're in the club everybody has to be dirty because that way if you decide to so much as try to step out of line they'll have enough dirt on you to bury you and they'll they'll use the power of law enforcement to make it happen that's what the FBI is there for FBI is just a muscle uh, muscle on us muscle on them it's really it's very it's becoming a very sick situation when they will violate the constitution they will destroy human rights. They don't care about anybody. They don't care about what, what they do to this country. And they don't even care about if they sell out this country. Of course, they'll, they'll tell us that they were doing this to protect us. But what are they protecting us from? They're protecting us from ourselves. It's easy to sit there and say, oh, well, we have these initiatives and they must be protected. No, what they don't want is us to really know how deep this, uh, this level of uh, con- cor- corruption has gone. And they know that we know enough of it exists that it scares them, so they keep us from knowing all of this. So, I think at this point, I've uh, this is one of my longest broadcasts, or it is the longest broadcast I've done. And I think uh, we can leave it at that. I've appreciated uh, talking about you know viruses and, and uh, finishing off with the legal constructs that we're facing. I think in the long term, if this country is going to survive and work and become, uh, once again, run by people who are actually interested in making us a, a better nation, we're going to have to stand up for our rights, express ourselves in a, in a civil disobedient matter, manner, and hopefully that this will achieve the goals that we need. You know, we we didn't
1: come to this uh, we didn't come to this country 400, you know, our ancestors had come here 400 years ago so they could turn this back over to the uh, Chinese Communist Party, the World Economic Forum, or the host of other actors at St. hell on destroying our nation. And I speak as an American, and I don't speak as, uh, I'm not a globalist, I'm not a world, I'm not a uh, handbook to the world at large. Your own life, find ways to make money you know, in a useful manner. Trade—it's not about the money; it's about the, it's about the ability to make goods and services that people can share and make a strong, united, uh, united States. So, I hope this broadcast hasn't been too uh, ear piercing and loud. Anyone who listens and downloads, and I thank you for your time today. God bless you and I sense it around.